Welcome to Wired AF. If you're joining us for the first time, I'm Brandon. I'm a weightlifter, a nutritionist, and the head coach at Akati Fitness. I'm always joined by Steph. I'm Steph. I'm an osteopath and a Pilates instructor. Today, we're talking about the difference between allied health practitioners. So, there's lots of different ones. The reason for doing this podcast is people often don't know the difference between a chiro, the difference between an osteo or a physio or a podiatrist and things like that. And, and why would you go and see one over the other? Or what do they actually do and the differences in kind of the philosophies behind those I guess those ones that we're going to be focusing on mainly is osteo because that's obviously relevant to us because Steph is now Dr. Steph. Mm. She's a doctor of osteopathy and she's going to be treating next week. Is that right? Uh, in in the coming weeks. I'm not 100% All right, sure. Sorry, I'll put her put put under the pump then. You did? Yeah, sorry. You're putting so much pressure on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Nervous laugh. Uh, yeah, so Steph's going to be treating at Gateway Osteo in Eltham. So you'll be able to go and see her there and get, uh, I guess, get help from her, whether it is seeking a treatment or seeking a rehab plan or doing clinical Pilates, all of that you can do through her at Gateway. So, it's going to be awesome. But that starts in a couple of weeks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that's going to be awesome. So, I guess we'll just start off with people People just genuinely don't know the difference between them. So, what's the main difference between like, say, osteo and chiro, physio? I guess physios don't really do any kind of cracking or they're not really known for doing that kind of manipulation of the joint? They're not really known for it, but I do know some physios that I've spoken to that have done courses to learn how to do it. I guess the first place to start is obviously I'm an osteopath. So osteopathy is more of a holistic healthcare or holistic approach to healthcare. So we like to take in um, everything to do with the person. So it's definitely really patient-centered, meaning that we want to do things for the individual patient and try and change the treatment based on the person that we see in front of us um, and offer things that we think might help the person, not just manual therapy that is um, moving their body or helping their body complaints, but also lifestyle factors as well. So there's lots of different things that we can look at um, their mental health, um, their environment, social, there's lots of different things that we will sort of want to focus on as well as, you know, just their pain that they're often coming in for. Um, we can get into the philosophies of osteo a little bit later, but there are definitely some key philosophies that we tend to focus on. But osteo is definitely very holistic in terms of care. So I often say to people, if they're coming in for, say, knee pain, um, then osteo is going to look at their feet, their knees, their hips and their spine, see how they walk, and then see what factors they've got that are affecting the pain that they're experiencing in their knee and see how it all interlinks and how it can improve their life and hopefully reduce their knee pain. If you were then to compare that to, say, a traditional chiropractor, um, often they focus on the spine and how the nervous system affects the rest of the body. So if you're coming in with, say, a knee complaint, they might look at your spine uh, more than anything and sort of see how that's relating to the pain you're feeling in your knee because you do have neural connections in your spine for your knee and that could be perhaps that there's a misalignment. So they'll often look at that. But in saying that, I definitely know of chiros that will look at other areas as well. So that's not to say that chiros just look at the spine um, and they, you know, they don't just do that. They do lots of different things. And then physios traditionally are known for sort of um, rehabilitation exercises um, and definitely a little bit more specific to the one area in my experience dealing with physios. I'm sure, again, there are plenty out there that are a little bit more holistic and broad in their approach. Again, like any profession, anyone has, everyone has their own style of treating, but physios I have found tend to be a little bit more specific in that one area. So again, using that knee as an example, if you come in with knee pain, they might just look at your knee and the muscles around the knee. So your quads, your calves, 
and that joint of the knee rather than looking at maybe your hips or your feet. They might refer you to someone else to look at, say, your feet like a podiatrist. Um, also, physios are really uh, really common in public health as well. So you'll see physios in uh, aged care and in hospitals as well, whereas you won't really see a lot of osteos and chiros in those settings. Um, there's just not that many opportunities for them. Uh, at the moment, I'm hoping that down the track there will be, but you definitely see physios more in the public health sector and they tend to, they are well-trained in lots of different areas, not just musculoskeletal pain, which is what people often come come in for in private practice. Um, so they are trained to work in hospitals with people who have, say, respiratory problems or um, who have just come out of surgery or things like that in more of that hospital healthcare, not just muscle pain and joints that osteos and chiros usually see. Would you say that people that don't, like, because we don't see osteos and chiros in public health setting, is that just because it's considered like an alternative approach and physios just generally regarded as more like a traditional approach, not necessarily meaning it's better, people just accept that kind of treatment uh, yeah. as, as being normal? I think so. I think that um, it's, I think the osteo and chiro is seen as alternative medicine. Regardless or alternative of whether therapy. or not it works. Yeah, or, or like complementary or alternative, but... We do see that in private practice especially, um, which is what most osteos and chiros work in, you do see the same things as what physios see. Like we're, and we're trained to deal with those things. We're trained to work very sim- with, in a very similar way as well. You know, we spend five years at uni as an osteo. Chiros are the same. They spend five years at uni. Physios are four years at uni. That's not to say they're, they're not as competent, but um, I think physios are trained in a broader range of different areas of healthcare in terms of rehabilitating people back into their normal life. Osteos, definitely, we spend a lot of time on musculoskeletal care. Um, But then in saying that, we are also trained to look for disease. So if someone comes to see me and, you know, they have um, maybe a mole on their back they haven't noticed, well, I'm going to refer them to their GP to check it out if I think something's going on. Or if they're coming in, they're having stomach upsets and I ask them questions about that, I might refer them to their GP or a nutritionist to see what's going on. So we are trained to look for those issues um, just like the other healthcare providers so that we can screen because not everyone goes to their doctor straight away if they've got an issue. Sometimes they won't tell the doctor those things or specifically go for those things. They don't often think it's important. So that's where we come in and we screen for those things as well and those diseases and can then refer off to for them to get help that they need. It's, it's a really um, good point that you make in how, I guess, holistic it is that, you know, trying to approach the body as a really... Like and, and looking for everything, mm. I think it's hard. I guess with the in the medical field, or I guess like in that science field, where people don't really take things that are new quite mm. well, and it's like seen as weird or seen as wrong. Whereas just because they've done it this way, they think that that's the only way to do it, and that's the worst thing that you can do, and it's probably like the worst thing ever. Yeah. And if it's like, oh, we've always done it this way, we've always approached the the knee injury by looking at the knee. We never looked at how the I don't know, like the muscles in the hip work, or what's previous training history, mm-hmm. what's previous work, how does the foot work, what kind of shoes do they wear, um, you know where that's so wrong it's like the old school mindset of well we've always done it like this and this is how you do it well that doesn't mean that's Mm. the best answer and maybe it's not maybe it might be the best answer but doesn't mean you don't stop looking for um, something else or a better way to approach things and I think that's how the other allied health practitioners or say physio views everyone else or like how the medical field the hospitals view um, Chiro and osteo because mm. it's almost like a competition 
Because if you go to your osteo and you say, oh, I have a really sore knee and then you go to your GP and then your GP says, well, you need surgery. You probably need surgery because mm. the GP doesn't have the understanding mm. that muscles can actually help and they can give... Well, it's not going to give well, you... Well, they're not trained in musculoskeletal treatments and management like osteos, chiros and physios. No, are. they might refer, but... The, the reality is they'll say, you know, you need surgery. That's often something that comes up quite a or lot. Or anti-inflammatories is the other one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll give you that. Whereas yeah. your osteo will say, uh, you know, you tell me if this is right, Steph. They'll give you, they'll say inflammation is, is a natural process that is important for healing because you're sending nutrients to that area to help it recover. Whereas the anti-inflammatories is reducing that response. So, yeah, okay, you're not going to feel pain. But the reason why you feel pain is to help it recover so you don't do the same shit that's actually hurting it. So, it's like a protective response. It's actually good. So, you're getting rid of that security net. Yeah. So, then you're going to continue to <laughs> to make the recovery take longer. Yeah. But then, it's yeah, so you can see how then as an osteo, mm. you're going to say, well, no, you're not going to... You might, you might need surgery, but... Let's try this. Let's try. Mm. You're probably not going to need surgery. Maybe if we strengthen More the surrounding areas, yeah. see how this goes, then we can go into cutting you up rather yeah. than <laughs> rather than you know going straight to that. Yeah. And and then often we see so many times, and our listeners can probably relate. How many times do you ha- have people had surgery, or you know of someone that's had surgery and it hasn't worked out, or it's made it worse? Yeah. Um, and because the rehab's so long, because you've you know, essentially cut your body up, yeah. that it actually makes the entire process take significantly longer yeah. uh, to get back to where you were before. And if you have no benefit, it can be quite depressing. Mm. It can be like, well, why did I spend all that money? Why did I spend all that time? Mm. I took time off work. Not only did the surgery cost money, but I, I couldn't work properly in yeah. that time. Or, you know, I see so many people that have like knee reconstructions and they don't do their rehab properly and then they can't lock out the knee. Mm. Or and then they have other issues like at their hip because they have like because the knee's not working properly, the hip's not working properly, or the other leg takes over. Yeah. It's very it's it's a slippery surgery's slope. Not the, always the surgery the stuff, answer. isn't it? Yeah. And you can see how mm. but they're pushing that because yeah, that's what, a lot of people are pushing so it's that, almost especially seen, GPs. It's yeah. seen as competition because mm. it's almost like, well, you're trying to help everyone restore and, and become you know, a better version. They don't mean it that way though. I, but I think it's changing. I think that the way that the health, the health professions, it's, it's changing. Yeah. So with health professions these days, they're not really promoting surgery as much anymore. We're really trying to work on that conservative treatment and that conservative management. And surgery is more like a last resort. If we can avoid surgery, that's kind of, if, if we really can, that's what we're going to try and do because exactly what you said, the recovery is so long and it's not always beneficial for people and often they need to go back and have multiple surgeries to then fix it. You know, it used to be um, where you tear your ACL and you get surgery straight away to fix it. Whereas now you tear your ACL, well, you don't always need surgery. You can often get that strengthened, that area strengthened. And yeah, it's not going to be back to that full capacity as when you had your ACL, uh, which is a ligament for the, in the knee that for those of you that don't know, but um, unless you're an athlete, a professional athlete, or you're relying on income for your body to move, you, you kind of can get away with it in some instances. And there's plenty of people that I know that, uh, don't have, you know, some meniscus in their knee or they don't have certain ligaments or, you know, there's a lot of things going on in their bodies. And, 
Um, they're not getting surgery because they are managing it perfectly well with exercise. They might have little flare-ups, but again, they know how to manage it. And that comes down to the health professional that they're seeing. And obviously they're educating them and making sure that they are doing what they need to do to look after their body. Yeah. And just as you said that, just to add to that, I find people that have those kind of tears or anything, if they do their rehab properly and majority of the time, well, they have like a bulge disc or they have like a, a I guess like a semi-serious injury. Yeah. If they work at it, they actually, they, yeah. they end up, you know, they can they can still PB like they can still you know if they want to <laughs> like push themselves and do things, yeah. they can still do everything fine like just work they, around it that's what you do yeah and that's something we'll, we'll we're kind of going off on a bit of a, <laughs> a yeah. bit of a tangent here oh yeah I'm enjoying yeah. it but the uh, yeah that's something no, that we, we'll we work see. around it and movement is medicine you know uh, it's really important that a lot of people to understand that a lot of research coming out now in the last few years is really promoting movement as medicine and strengthening areas, stretching areas, making sure that we're moving our bodies. We're not sitting down for extended periods of time, or we're not just leaving an injured area to just kind of, you know, do its thing or like just leave it. You actually yeah, the put rest in... for two weeks is gone. I yeah, have, well, still there in some people, but it's it should be gone. It, it's it's sort of movement where we can, um, really getting as much movement as possible rather than just doing nothing about it. So it's a very active approach to things. And I definitely believe in movement as medicine as well. That's something that I'm really big for and I like to advocate as well. How and that's, could you not? Well, that's why I teach clinical Pilates. That's why I teach reformer Pilates. That's why I advocate for strength training. And, you know, I love doing rehab plans for people and training programs for people because I think it's really important and you can get people a really long way and they don't need those other things like, you know, surgery to fix themselves or whatever it might be. But yeah, it's it's important that they are at that point too, though, for them to understand that. And not everyone's at that point right away where they want to move their body to make their body better. But um, hopefully if we keep educating and down the track, there might come a point where they're ready to change and start doing something about their own health and their own body and their own injuries and do what they need to do, which is often movement. Definitely. And we'll come back to pain education in a, in a couple of moments. But yeah. For now, let's talk about, I guess, as an osteo treatment yeah. and now, you know, we've we've talked about the other kind of practitioners and and how they, they approach their treat their their patients. Mm. Let's talk about osteo. So there's a bunch of different techniques that you can use, Steph. Do you yes. wanna do you wanna talk me through? So I've got a few that I wanna ask you about. Okay. So we've got articulation, MET HVLA, which is the cracking, which you'll talk about in a <laughs> yeah. second. Yeah. Uh, we've got some soft tissue and there's a bunch of things in there. And then there's some counter strain as well. Yep. So I guess let's just work through them, you know, however you want to work with sure, through them. And, and we can kind of talk to our, our listeners can get, yeah. kind of get a better understanding of, you know, why do we do this technique? Um, an example of how you do that mm. technique and then, and then just... Uh, I guess, what, how it actually works. Yeah. So I guess just quickly before we get into those techniques of the manual therapy that we can do, it's important to, I guess, let our listeners know that not every osteopath is a hands-on osteopath. And that doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong. That is a different way of treating. And there are a lot of different ways that health professionals will treat an injury. So often people will come in to see us because they're in pain, because they've injured themselves and they're in pain. And they want us to basically help their pain and fix their pain. Um, some of that is us listening to them and trying to figure out what's going on and coming up with what we call a differential diagnosis. So something that we think could be going on. Um, it's not 100% confirmed by x-ray, but it's usually the most likely cause of what's going on. So we want to come up with what's going on, come up with the reasons of why it's happening, and then how we can sort of modify their lifestyle 
and talk to the patient about it and communicate with them. And then often there is a manual therapy component. So the type of treatments that I provide is manual therapy. So I, I do believe in manual therapy as well. Um, and then there is a component of exercise or rehabilitation or homework, if you want to call it homework, for the person to do at home to then fix their, or not fix their injury or their pain, but improve their injury and their pain. And then pain education, which we are doing all throughout the consultation. So I'm always educating the patient about what's going on in their body, why there's pain, what they can do in their life to try and improve their pain or try and what less lessen the aggravating factors. Uh, and also, you know, what they can do in the gym or the exercises or nutrition or whatever other things it might be. So there's a lot of different factors that go into an osteopathic consultation. It's not just the hands-on manual therapy. Um, so some people definitely do more of the exercise rehab side of it. In terms of a manual therapy treatment, if you are going to get that hands-on treatment where you lie on the table and your osteo, you know, gets their hands on you and starts to treat you. Um, so like Brandon said, there's a lot of different things we can do. So there's articulation, which is where we're just moving the joint and the muscles through different ranges of movement. So we just like to move it around. You don't have to do anything. You just lie there and I move it for you. And the idea is that I improve the range of the movement of that joint and muscle and reduce the pain around that area as well. And then the next one, which was MET, I'm pretty sure you had down. Yeah, MET. Yep. Yeah. So what does it stand uh, for? Muscle energy technique. Ooh. So it's kind of like um, I would get you to push into my hand. So I'd get you to push maybe your arm into my so hand. resist, yeah. Yeah, resist. And then I would then get you to relax and we take your joint a little bit further into a range of movement and then we do it again. So we get you to resist against me and then relax and take the joint a little bit further. So the idea is that with that muscle activation and then relaxation, we can get more of a range into the muscle, into the joint and decrease that muscle tightness as well and just basically improve the whole function of the area. Um, again, that's a really great one to try and reduce pain pretty gentle most people can do it um, same as articulation pretty gentle these are both direct techniques that we're meaning that we're directly going to be treating that joint or muscle that's affected then you've got i think you had hvla it's your next yeah, one hvla so that stands for high velocity low amplitude thrust hvla thrust so that's the cracking that people often uh, associate or like I think Cairo's called it manipulation or cavitation or, ad- yeah. or, or adjustment when you hear the crack that's yeah. what Josh calls it yeah so other people call it uh, manipulations or adjustments or what was the other one Ca- just- cavitation cavitation yeah. yeah so cavitation is the sound of the crack yeah um, and so usually that actual crack is just uh, air bubbles popping in the joint that's people get worried with the crack and there's nothing to be worried about um, again it's quite a direct technique it's not for everyone though. Not everyone likes it. Some people love it. Not everyone does. Um, but the idea is that we're moving your joint very quickly through a range of motion to try and improve the range of that joint so that then basically you get more movement, less pain. So that's kind of the point of HVLA. Um, there are certain people we wouldn't do that with though. So of course we would screen everyone to make sure it's appropriate. What kind of people wouldn't you do that with? Someone who has um, like bone disorders so if you have say osteoporosis or osteopenia um, or osteoarthritis it may not be appropriate Um, often people who are older adults may not take um, may not respond as well 
Uh, also people who are on certain medications that can cause bone density issues or say blood thinners, for example, people at bleeding risk. Um, so there are definitely certain people that you wouldn't do particular things on or people at risk of fracture um, just because of the higher speed of the movement. But again, it's... Um, but then you just do other techniques that exactly, would help. That we would just help do you. other things, yeah. And you, you'd assign, you know, the rehab movements that would probably yep. help them with that as well. So there'd be... A, and obviously, as Steph mentioned, yep. she gave quite a detailed explanation of how they do the initial consultation. Yeah. That's quite holistic. So, yeah, there's, yep. it's, it's only a small... Remember, the, the manual therapy is, in a way, of quite a small part yeah. of, the, of the actual process. And, I think and, it is. And seeing when you book in with Steph, that's kind of the beginning of your your rehab and it's, yeah. it's just you know sometimes you might be in so much pain and you, you genuinely need that hands-on touch to kind of start and then you feel quite comfortable again to want to or, or just that reassurance yeah. to see someone to then begin uh begin moving and begin uh getting ready and mm. you just want to see you know getting ready to start training or returning to the gym and you just need to see mm. someone to get that reassurance and that yeah. and that's where your allied health professional and having someone that you trust is really important. Mm. The next one I had was soft tissue. Soft tissue, uh, that's basically your massage. Yeah, so a lot of people would know about massage. Um, you know, if you haven't had a massage from someone and it's mostly just moving the muscles and the fascia as well. Um, so that would be where I just run my hands over you. You can do deep tissue. You can do light, which is like that deeper elbow in, elbow in the leg kind of thing. <laughs> um, there would be the lighter one called effleurage. You can include lymphatic drainage in that, which is basically moving your lymph, which is a fluid circulating in your body. So you can do lymphatic drainage to try and move basically the toxins around from your body to reduce that muscle soreness. Um, and also reduce like bloating and things like that. Uh, bloating, swelling. <laughs> um, dry needling is another thing that a lot of people do and cupping. I haven't, we sort of covered it briefly at uni, but we're not qualified to do it unless we do an extra course. So for us, we need to go and do extra studies in dry needling to then do dry, dry needling. Um, what was the other one you had? Counter strain, I think, is the last one. Yeah, counter strain. Yeah. I was just going to say before we move oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was more I had to talk about that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just wanted to know people that have, say, or for our listeners, yeah. especially the difference between them using a foam roller and, say, getting a massage and then how effective is using the foam roller in actual, at a physiological level. Yeah. So, from what um, we've seen, not very compared to actually perception of pain and how yeah. does that help with recovery, with recovery? Foam rollers are very controversial. It's a very controversial t topic and there's a lot of studies coming out about foam rolling. Um, the most recent ones that I was looking at um, just a couple of months ago was that foam rolling is good in the moment for people who want the satisfaction of feeling like they're doing something for their body, which sometimes gives them a really positive experience for recovery. Um, in terms of long-term long effects for recovery, there is no proven results from what I've seen or from reputable studies that foam rolling will increase your recovery over the long term. Maybe in that first 15 minutes after a training session, it would make you feel amazing and you feel like you're doing something. So short-term recovery, perhaps. Uh, Long-term, maybe not. But again, there's still a lot of studies that need to be done on that topic. So I, I mean, I'm not against foam rolling. I think that there's some really great benefits for it. And if you feel like um, maybe before a session, if you're going to do a lifting session and you like rolling out your quads and you feel better, awesome, do it and then do your session. It's not going to hurt. It's not like you're doing any harm, but are there other things that you could do that perhaps are a little bit more beneficial? Maybe. 
So that's something to consider. I guess it's how deliberate are you with your time, where you're spending your time? Would you like to spend your time foam rolling or would you like to spend your time doing an exercise that maybe is a bit more beneficial than foam rolling? Um, Or did you want to have a treatment from an osteo and maybe they can educate you as well as move your body for you and massage you? So there's a lot of different things, I guess, to weigh up there. Definitely. Next is counter strain. So this one sounds a little bit funky. What does this require? So counter strain is an indirect technique. That means that we're not really putting that muscle and joint into a spot that's under stretch or under too much pressure. We're actually putting it in a position that's really comfortable. So Brandon, I treat you all the time. When I treat your hips, I'll often do counter strain on your hips um, because sometimes just putting my thumb in your psoas is really, or your hip flexor is like really intense for you. So what I do is counter strain on you instead where I hold or I monitor that muscle, but then I put the joint into an area where the muscle's basically at its most comfortable and you hold it there for 90 seconds and you get really good responses as you would some of the other techniques as well. But it's a lot more gentle and people feel very relaxed when you tend to do counter strain. So it's a really great way to get um, release from a muscle or joint for people who can't tolerate maybe some of the other techniques. So it's just, again, it's another technique in our tool belt. So one of my teachers said to me once that we're just learning all of these skills for our tool belt. We just got a tool belt full of things that where we can treat people. Some is manual therapy, some isn't, but you've got all these things that we learned so that we can basically adapt to all different types of individuals with lots of different issues. You know, how I treat you for lower back pain, Brandon, might be different to how I treat my mum for lower back pain. So it's having all these different things so that I can treat everyone differently depending on their needs and how they respond as well. So then they get the best outcome for themselves. So as you've heard about the techniques now, what I want to go into is and speak to Steph about and you guys can listen in is the understanding of pain education now we did a little bit of that in the last we've, we've done a podcast on this about what is pain and and now one of this one of the most important things and something that doesn't get often talk, spoken about enough in a successful treatment is um, understanding and teaching the client about their pain and how you know if they've you know if they haven't if they've hurt their back that you know it's it's just because of how much pain they're in isn't an indication of how severe the damage is or mm. or doesn't even give us an indication on how badly hurt it is could be a previous injury that has come back so you have a high sensation in that area uh, I know I'm experiencing that with tendonitis now it just it feels like it's not going away but it's definitely getting better but as soon as I feel feel it flare up I just feel like I've hurt it again so and and most of you guys could have probably experience something like that so Steph with pain education what are the kind of strategies that you like to do with your patients or what do you you know what have you done with the past when you've been um, practicing yeah so with pain education it's becoming um, a lot more of a popular thing now I think for health professionals we did a lot about it at uni so pretty much from second year it was drilled into us that pain education was really, really important because a lot of people don't understand what their pain means. Like you said, a really common example is lower back pain. Something like 80% of people are going to get lower back pain throughout their lives. Um, And often if you scan someone, you could scan anyone walking on the street, you're probably going to find something in their scan on their back to do with their back. But just because you find something on their scan doesn't mean that they're in pain. And vice versa, just because someone's in pain doesn't mean that they're so there's damage. So 
it, that's pain is really complex and there's it's different for everyone it's a very subjective experience so that means that um your pain brain and you might have a disc bulge in your lower back and i might have a disc bulge in my lower back i hope not i hope not <laughs> I hope not as well, but our experience to that pain might be very different. So you might feel absolutely fine with your disc bulge and you don't really feel much at all. You're like, oh yeah, it's like a little bit of a twinge. And because you're feeling maybe really positive about it, maybe you recover really quickly from it. Whereas maybe me, I've got a disc bulge, but I've had a disc bulge in the past five years ago, perhaps. So then my experience with my disc bulge is going to be very different. And maybe I'm going through a lot of stress in my life at the moment as well. You know, maybe I'm having uh, difficulties with some friends or maybe I'm fighting with somebody or maybe I've got financial difficulties or work difficulties. All of those things are going to play a factor into my experience of pain. So maybe because of those difficulties and because of the past experience of my back pain, it feels like my disc bulge is maybe worse. And maybe I think it's really, really bad. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. And then because of that, maybe I'm starting to avoid activities and I'm starting to just stay at home and sit on the couch or I'm not doing anything about it or I'm not going out in social settings or maybe I'm not going to the gym anymore because I'm worried about my my back pain. And then maybe this back pain doesn't heal as quickly as you would expect it to. Maybe I think in my mind that it's still a problem six months or a year down the track. Technically, this back injury should have healed within three months because injuries do heal and your body is capable of healing itself. That's one of the principles of osteopathy. Your body actually self-regulates really well and it, it can heal itself. We just have to allow it to heal itself. But just because it's healed doesn't mean we don't feel the pain. So there are things that happen in our brains. There's lots of different neural changes that occur when we experience pain. Sometimes we become really sensitive to pain. um, And because of that, we feel things maybe more than we would otherwise. So we might have sensitization. Um, Maybe there's actually changes in our brain so that then we avoid particular behaviors or we avoid certain movements because, again, we think we're going to feel pain. Or maybe we actually feel it when we do that movement because we believe that injury is still there. It's a really complicated thing and everyone's really different with how they experience it. So then my job is explaining to someone, again, on an individual basis, why is their pain aggravated? Why do they keep feeling it? It's almost a little bit easier in someone who's never had an injury before because you can say to them, this will heal. It's going to get better and you can get you can get at them right from the start and teach them about what it means. But if you've got someone who's had chronic pain and this is super, super common, uh, maybe they've had lower back pain for 10 years how do you change someone's mindset around what their pain means? They've had lower back pain for 10 years. 10 years, it technically should have healed, right? But they still have the pain just because they still feel it. It Like just because it might have healed doesn't mean it's not there. So we have to treat it as real. So we're almost treating their behaviors and their mindset around the pain with our pain education, if that makes sense. Hopefully that gave you guys a little bit of an insight about osteopathy and allied health professionals. I'm sure we'll have more discussions down the track about these kinds of things and Pilates as well. We have lots of plans to talk about osteo in the future because I am an osteo now. So I have lots of things to talk about with that. But uh, that's a nice little intro episode for you guys about it. And hopefully we'll see you guys soon.